Hi, all. My name is Jamie Robinson. I am a family member here at the Refuge. I attend the White Oak GC, and I help serve in our children's ministry um, by taking care of sweet babies in the nursery once a month. Please stand this morning for the reading of God's Word from Ephesians 19, or 1, 19 through 23. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, amen. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, man, <clears throat> for leading us in worship today. Uh, hey, I'm excited about our text today. As always, I love preaching from the scriptures and specifically in the New Testament. Uh, just these letters from our, uh, the apostles as they wrote them. Uh, it's just such good and rich. It's just chock full of, of good stuff for us. And again, it will be that same thing today. All right. So we are uh, again in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. Thank you for reading that text. I will read it one more time <clears throat> just to get us into it. If you have a Bible, make sure you open it up to Ephesians chapter 1. If you have your app, open it up to Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to follow along with me. I want you to op uh, be used to moving through the scriptures because we'll move through them a little bit today as we read from some different texts. So back again in verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so Paul wants the Ephesians to know how awesome it is that their faith is something that he's heard about. And he says that in verse 15. And then in the verses following that, he is reminding them of why that faith in Jesus is not a misplaced faith and that faith is worth it all, okay? And that really wraps up the, what this text is about. Why it is, why it is that uh, faith in Jesus is so amazing and so fantastic. We used to sing uh, a song in the. I used to sing the choir, shockingly, uh, at uh, the church that I was at before at Bellevue Baptist Church, and uh, 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 <laughs> uh, Jim Whitmire was our minister of music there. And anybody know Jim Whitmire? Raise your hand if you know who Jim Whitmire is. Yeah. And so Jim was our minister of music, and we used to sing this song. Uh, one of our call to worships is what it was called. That's whenever you, the choir would come out and before anything happens, the choir sings the song you know, as, the, as, the, as the service is starting. And it was called, It Will Be Worth It All When We See Jesus. Anybody know that song? It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Know that one? Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face all sorrow will erase, so bravely run the race till we see Christ. And then in, in, in big Bellevue form, it ended really big. When we see Jesus, 
And then I can't get to the rest of it. When we see Christ, you know, way up there. <laughs> so that was the big call to worship that we would sing. And it was songs like that was a reminder to the saints at Bellevue, whenever that the whole purpose behind singing that, that Jesus is wonderful. I mean, that, that he's fantastic. And that there will be a soon, our faith will be made sight. And that, that was the purpose of singing that song is that, hey, yeah, all this stuff that we're enduring, it'll be worth it all, okay? All the stuff that we have to walk through here on earth, when we finally see him face to face, it will be worth it all. And texts like this in the scripture uh, were used for the saints around Ephesus in the day and for the saints today for encouraging us in that very same way. So our sermon text today picks up in verse 19, but let's get a running start into this. And so let me go back to 15 just to kind of read us into this. And so you can follow along with me there if you're in your, in your Bibles. So 15 says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of knowing him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and in our text, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. And that's where we are in verse 19. And so Paul is reminding them of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for the saints, those who follow him. Uh, and look what he says. He wants us to know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those who believe. And so let's underline that so we'll know that's what we're talking about. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those who believe, right? That's where we are. And so obviously, uh, this verse shifts to a discussion of God's power in the life of a believer. And so as a believer, if you're here and you're a Christian, you need to know that the very power of God resides within you. The whole Spirit of God resides within you, and that's what he's talking about here. Uh, and, but the reality is God's power is so great that it can't be quantified. We, we can't really put a measurement around how vast and how big and how wide uh, God's power actually is. He, he says that God's power is expressly uh, power toward those who believe or toward the saints. And this power is according to the working of his great might. And so great power and great might is kind of what he's talking about. He wanted the, the, the uh, hearers to know in Ephesus, that the power of God was strong and mighty. <clears throat> and we're going to see that throughout this entire text. And so that may seem redundant that he would say this here, uh, but verse 20 and 21 will connect this with Jesus' resurrection. So when he's talking about power and might, he's going to move to the resurrection, which clearly is the capstone of our faith, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. That demonstration was, a, 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 that a resurrection was a demonstration of God's power and, his, uh, and God's might. And, and say this, that only God, say only God, only God could actually make happen. Amen? Amen. So God's power is a theme that, is, uh, that we see just kind of traced throughout all the scripture. Starting from the very first words, in Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning, what? God, what? created the heavens and the earth. That's from Genesis 1.1. And so think about that. God 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And how did he create those? How do we believe that he created them? Yeah, we believe that he spoke those into existence, right? And so by his power, by the power that God has, he literally spoke. And I like to say that the universe leaped into existence, okay? So just think about that. God said, let there be light. And what happened? Pow, shazam, there's light, right? And he said, let, and he talked about forming, and he made animals. He's like, boom, let there be a horse, you know, which is cr crazy. You know, let there be a zebra and a rhinoceros, you know. I mean, let there be a whale, you know. I mean, God just said those things, and he created those things, and they were, which is incredible to think about a God that creates in that way. And so God's power has been revealed in creation, which is far beyond anything we can imagine. Say far beyond. Do this when you say that. Far beyond. Yeah, far beyond. Yeah, we like to use our arms like that. I mean, think of other instances of God's power on display. I mean, when God called uh, Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, he used his power to show his greatness. Through a series of plagues, remember the plagues uh, that came on Egypt? He, provide, he, he proved himself to be far superior. Say far superior far superior than the gods of Egypt. Amen? He revealed his power to the Israelites by opening the Red Sea for them to walk across on dry land. Whenever I talk about that, I love to think about the movie, right? We all think about uh, uh, the, the movie, The Ten Commandments, and Charlton Heston, as you know, standing on the, on the big rock. He's like, he's way up on top, and what, he, you know, he holds his arms up like this, and, and the Red Sea parts, you know what I'm saying? You remember that? Who knows what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. Yeah, and so he holds his arms up and the Red Sea parts and across the Israelites go across on dry land, you know, and then he lets his arms down and, and then all the, you know, the ocean comes and drowns Pharaoh's army. Um, we all cheer for people to die. Uh, but similar events uh, took place throughout the Old Testament. As we read about that, we read about God's power. We just read all through how God was at work and similar events kind of would happen. And it obviously culminated in the coming of Jesus to reveal his ultimate power over death through his resurrection. And so believers need to know that in the present time, something about the greatness of God's power towards us. We talk about this power Think about this power that we just talked about, the stories from the Old Testament. And we need to know that as followers of Jesus, that power that he, he uh, uh, pushes that power towards, uh, extends that power towards us. His power is exceeding. Say exceeding. His power is exceeding. And, and the scripture says that here uh, uh, in the verse, that, that it's greatness of his power uh, towards us. It means to go far beyond and far above uh, think about exceeding the speed limit, okay? We go, some of you exceed the speed limit. You go far above the speed limit. Carol, uh, uh, you go far above the speed limit at any opportunity. Uh, but what this means is, and this is even greater than that, that God's power is beyond measure. We can't measure what it is and how big and vast and immeasurable that his power actually is. God's power defies definition. Paul, Paul used three words here in this verse in uh, chapter 19 um, whenever he's talking about this. First one is, uh, he used a word called dunamis, which is not explosive power 
like dynamite, okay? So we're not thinking about when he talks about uh, power in this way, it's not like, boom, one big thing that happens. Whenever he talks about power, this is ongoing and available power. Think like a generator, okay? So, so God does, can and does have explosive power from time to time, but what he's talking about here is his power is constant, that it goes on and on. It will always be there. It's always available. And then he talks about uh, a word called energia, which is like energizing power. That's in the word working here. Look in your text. It says, according to the working of his great might, he's talking about uh, a word that is, is energizing power, and that's continuing to work in you and me as believers. And then the third word he talks about is his great might, and that's a word called kratos, which means dominion power, uh, and it's talking about authoritative power uh, that God has. And so this whole verse is talking about power. Who knows something about God's power? I mean, who's seen God, literally his power at work? Do you know what I'm talking about? It's okay to raise your hand. Look, it's okay to do that. It's okay to testify to that in here. I'm not going to stand you up here and make you say it unless you want to, but I'm just saying that we ought to talk about the power of God. We ought to be aware of the power of the God in our life. We ought to be unashamed of the power of God in our life. Are we just saying there's no power like the power of Jesus? There's nothing that our God can't do, amen? And when we say those things, those don't need to be worried. We don't sing songs here at Refuge just to sing songs. We sing songs because they're teaching us truths about who God is. And so when we sing and we declare that there's nothing that our God can't do, when our band sings up here and sings that, and you declare that and you're singing it in the congregation, we declare those things together because we believe them, Amen? So we say that there's nothing that our God can't do. There's, there's, a saint, there's another song, uh, an old song that we sang in the church I grew up in. Uh, it was called Power in the Blood. You know that one? Yeah, who knows that one? Raise your hand. Yeah, so a few less people know. Yeah, so I, I'll see those hands. So remember, it was like there's power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Amen? Now, in my church, whenever we sang it, we sang it that there's power. You know what I'm saying? There's power, power, wonder work, and power. You know what I'm saying? As a kid, I didn't know it meant power, but I just heard him say power, and I know what that was. Um, but it's power. There's wonder working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. And so Paul didn't pray that power be given to believers, but they would actually recognize the power that is actually in them. He didn't say, hey, God, give them power. He said, I just want them to recognize the power that's already in them because the Spirit lives within them. And so that's part of what I want you to recognize today is that I'm not praying that God gives you power. You already have the power in you because the Spirit lives within you if you're a follower of Jesus. Amen? Well, what does the Scripture say about that? Look, you can turn with me if you want to. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, this says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. So he, he's, he's kind of giving a picture here that we're like jars of clay, molded, shaped, could, be frat, could break at a dropping. You know, if you drop a jar of clay, what happens to it? It breaks. So it's somewhat fragile. They have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This power that we have, we don't do things on our own power. We don't live in our own power. We live because the power of God actually literally resides within us. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20, we'll get to this in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. He says, now to him who is able to do far more, far exceedingly abundantly more, then, then uh, we can ask or think according to the what? 
power. You see that? Y'all reading with me? What is that word? According to the power that works within us, okay? So he's talking about the power that works within us, okay? And then in Philippians chapter 2.13, it says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God is at work in us as followers of Jesus. As, as a Christian, someone who has been born again, someone who has moved from death to life, that the Spirit of God actually lives within you. The Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead literally resides within you. That's pretty amazing, right church? Yeah. But many times we just kind of walk through this life you know, just hanging on to the dear end. And we've fallen into this whole trap of believing that that's just the life we live as Christians. That we're just holding on, can't wait for glory to get here. And I mean, which will be wonderful, but we live into the day in the here and now. We're, when we talk about being missionaries here at Refuge Church, we're talking about living in the power of the Holy Spirit to, in the here and now. With, we've conquered, Jesus has conquered sin and death on our behalf. We don't have to fear death because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so we walk in power, and in power is, is with that message of the transforming power of the gospel. Let's get back to our text. It says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? And again, so I want you to look at this thing. Uh, I want you to see that it is toward us who believe. That this power is toward us who believe. God directs his power towards believers. Believers, as believers, as followers of Jesus, as born-again Christians, we are agents of God's power. That's you, Christian. Agents of God's power. Look around the room. Look around the room. God is directing his power to people who the people of God in this room. The power of the Holy Spirit, the, those who believe, for the good, he does it for the good of others. This is not to exalt ourselves, this is not to make much of ourselves, but it's to make much of Jesus and, and for the serve those around us. And then he says that it is according to the working of his mighty power or according to the working of his great might. And so the power that he's talking about here is a power that works on the inside. Now, it's not a secret that I don't necessarily have the body that I had when I was 22. Okay? Some of you are the same shape. <laughs> Round. Round's a shape. Or I don't have quite as much hair as I did. I saw a picture from me when I was in college this last weekend. I had a lot more hair. It was darker. And, but I don't have that same thing now. Or, you know, there's things that we look or we think about ourselves and we go, hey, that was the way it was. And I, I sure did look good in my 20s or whatever, you know. Uh, but the reality is this is not God working on me to make me look better. This is God working inside me to change me and transform me. What is that power doing? It's killing sin in my life. Hopefully it's killing sin in your life. And hopefully that power is transforming me and conforming me into the image of Jesus. And hopefully that power that lives within you is conforming you to the image of Jesus as well. Who knows what it's like for God to kill sin in you? Do you know? Have you seen God do a work where there's maybe some besetting sin in your life and you go, God, I need you to just kill this sin in me. Who, who, who knows, who's seen God do that before in your life? 
Yeah, I've seen him do it in mine. I still have some of my own today, but there are some that I don't wrestle with anymore because God has been gracious to me to kill that sin in my life. Amen? Yeah, and I know some of you are the same way that he has found, he has, he has been gracious to you to kill some sin in your life. And maybe you go, well, well preacher, I, I, don't, I still got some besetting sin in my life. I, I've got some things that are still going on in my life. Well, maybe you just need to ask the Lord to help you. Have you ever literally just stopped and said, God, this thing, this thing that is a besetting sin in my life, will you just take it away from me? Will you remove it from me? Will you, whenever the temptation comes, will you not even let me be tempted by that sin anymore? Are you asking the Lord to do that for you? He doesn't want you to continue in your besetting sin. He wants to remove that from you. And so I encourage you to ask and pray that way. Many times we have not. Why? Because we ask not. Pray and ask God to do that very thing for you. Then let's go into verse 20. Speaking of great might, he says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Now, there's a lot of articles of faith that are connected in this one verse here. Um, that, that, that Christ died, that uh, he was raised from the dead, that uh, he was raised from the dead by God the Father, and that his resurrection was by the power of God. All that's contained in this particular verse. And so the resurrection of Jesus was one of those instances of great power. It was, it was peculiar and, and uh, a special power because Jesus was raised from the dead publicly. This was a public resurrection. That this is not some secret that happened. That is some mythical thing that was never seen by anybody. But it was a public resurrection that many people saw him raised from the dead, and he ra- he was raised as a representative for all the people who would repent and believe. And in his resurrection, Jesus became the promise for all his people. In his resurrection, if you're a Christian, Jesus became the promise for his people that he was raised from the dead for your justification. Amen? That means all is well. So here's a little theology 101 for you. Whenever we get to the promise, what is the promise that, was, that came to us because of Jesus' resurrection? What is it? Promise is one, that our sins would be forgiven and we'll live again with him, right? Okay? That, we would, that our sins could be forgiven and we would, we would once again, that move from this life is, is to be absent from the body, is to be present from the Lord. And, the, and, and that he justifies us in his resurrection. That means we are made righteous before God whenever we trust in Jesus. You don't just get that. We get that because we repent of our sins and we put our faith and trust in Jesus. You don't get that just because you came to church today. You don't get that just because your parents are Christians. You get that because you repent, which means to turn from your sin and put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus and not your own righteousness. And we get that benefit from that because Jesus makes us righteous. So Jesus' resurrection literally is the capstone of our faith. There's that word again that I said earlier, and I said it before. It is the capstone of our faith. And I've said, I've given this example before. A capstone is like a walkway if you're going through a walkway and there's a wall and there's a door opening and it's kind of curved like this, there's usually some stones or bricks that are in that walkway. And there's one at the very top, typically, that holds all that together. And what happens is, is as these stones are stacked together, stones can't sit like this, right? I mean, they'll, they'll fall because of gravity, right? And so a capstone fits in the very top of it. And the capstone holds things together that would normally crumble or collapse, 
And so Jesus is the same way. He is the, it is, his resurrection is the capstone of our faith. Without the resurrection, what happens? It all crumbles. All this is for naught. And so unless Jesus is alive, it all crumbles and it falls. And so listen, listen to this. Just as Jesus' body was really dead and lifeless and without motion, he, he was dead previous to his resurrection. He died on the cross. People punctured him with a spear and nailed him to a cross. So too are men and women like you and me dead in our trespasses and sins. We are destitute of life and motion. We, we are dead. Scripture tells us, we'll get to that in Ephesians in the next chapter, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And just like Jesus' human nature couldn't help himself, it couldn't raise himself up, so neither can dead sinners convert themselves. Neither can dead sinners bring themselves out of that state and condition which we are by nature. What that means is you're not going to just decide on your own one day that I'm just not going to be dead anymore, okay? I'm tired of being dead, so I'm going to be alive. Dead men can't do that. So listen, church. Just as the resurrection of Jesus was the pure work of God and a display of his mighty power, so the work of faith and grace and conversion is the entire work of God. It's begun and carried on and finished completely by his power. You're saved by his power. Not by your decision that you made. You're saved by God Almighty. You're saved because he has set his affections on you. You're saved because he has awakened you from the dead. You're saved because he has quickened your heart. You're saved because he has given you the faith to believe. That's, what, that's how God regenerates us and makes us and gives us faith to believe and trust in him. And, G, and just as Jesus' uh, uh, resurrection preceded his glorification, so is the regeneration and conversion of men. And then and only then do we obtain our inheritance and the enjoyment of what it means to be a follower of Jesus because he has made us alive. Amen? So from the text it says, just as he worked in Christ, so he must work the same way in you and me in making us alive to him. That's something to celebrate, church. He goes on in verse 20 and says, uh, that we are seated at the right hand in heavenly places. We're seated at the right hand in heavenly places. And so what that means is, um, is that Jesus has done his work on earth with acceptance. And now he sat down. Scripture tells us that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's ever making intercession on our behalf, but his work is done. But now he intercedes for his people. He intercedes and assists in protecting us and interceding with us for the Father. He brings believers to himself. He is our head. He is our representative. And, he, and the scripture says that we're actually already seated in the heavenly places with him. You know what I'm saying? It's the already and the not yet. We're already seated in the heavenly places with God. We're just not quite yet there. See what I'm saying, church? That's what Paul is trying to get across as he's writing to the believers. Then he goes on to verse 21 and says this, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. 
And so he paints this picture of what he wants the hearer to understand. Just the majesty of God. He said, he is far above all. There's nothing above God. There's nothing that we can even imagine or think that is uh, far and above who God is. It is universal. There's no cosmic power that is bigger than him. Uh, but his, he, and he even says that his, his, uh, his uh, glorious uh, nature and who he is is not above, but far above anything else. There's nothing that even compares. Then he says that it's above the rulers and authority and dominion, and he uses this terminology to talk about that he's above the angels, he's above any dominions, he's above any principalities. There's nothing even close. And then he says, um, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He says, above any cosmic force anywhere. I want you to look with me in Philippians chapter 2. This is what what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. He said, who, and he's talking about Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So we're talking about Jesus, who is God in the flesh. He emptied himself and became like one of us, and being found in human form like you and me, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God now, because he was obedient, now God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Listen, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How many knees will bow? Every knee will bow. Every knee will bow to Jesus. Let me tell you this. Listen to me closely. If you're in this room or you're watching online or whoever you hear or see this, if you are a skeptic and you're going, I don't believe this stuff. I don't buy into this stuff. I, I'm, I'm not, I don't follow Jesus. I think what y'all are doing is foolish. I think this is dumb. I'm only here because my mama made me come today. I'm only listening to this because I'm trying to keep somebody else happy. Your knee too will bow to Jesus. Listen to me, your knee will bow to Jesus. You go, I don't bow to anybody. I don't care what you say, you will bow to Jesus, okay? And it's better to bow down to him as Lord than to be bowing down to him as someone who will exert his wrath on you. I promise you. That's not to try to be a scare tactic. I'm just telling you what the scriptures say, that you have an option, that you have a way to be in the family of God. He draws you to himself and says, I'm going to be your Lord. I'm going to forgive your sins. I'm going to give you all of my righteousness. I'm willing to give you all these things. Just repent of your sins. Turn away from them and turn to him. But too many of us want to do it our own way, snub our nose at him and do it our own way. I'm going to tell you that is the way of destruction. Listen, the way of destruction. Don't be a fool today. Repent and believe the gospel. Verse 10 says right here, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So it's not just you and me. That's, the, that's demons. That's, the, that, that's people who are against Jesus. That is, that is any uh, uh, evil spirit. They will bow to the name of Jesus and every tongue, say every tongue. That tongue that you just said it with, that tongue as well. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His name is above every name. And that's what it's, the scripture says in verse, 25, verse 21, far above rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And so he's talking about, what, what are you talking about in the one to come? It's not only this age, 
But in the one to come, nothing will eclipse the name of Jesus. Worshiping Jesus not your thing, heaven will not be your thing either. Let's go on. He says in verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. Jesus finished work at Calvary, not only disarmed the rulers and authorities and principalities and powers, but he put him uh, as head over cosmic control over everything else. Remember in Genesis, so we, we, if you're new to refuge, we preach through Genesis, uh, spent a number of weeks in Genesis, but the first Adam lost dominion over the earth which was entrusted to him. Remember that? That happens in Genesis 3. So Adam, the first Adam, lost uh, dominion over the earth that was entrusted to him. He wanted to be independent of God. He sinned against God. But Jesus, the second Adam, lived his life in total dependence on God. Total dependence on God. And he died for our sins. He paid the price for our sins. But more importantly, he rose from the dead to give us his life, his righteousness, eternal life, and to have that life more abundantly. And God demonstrated his power that when he raised Jesus from the dead, he was our sin substitute. He seated him at his right hand, seated him in glory far above the principalities and powers, and he'll be there through all eternity. And God loved the world so much that he gave the world his son to die. But Jesus loved the church so much that he gave himself to the church. And God put everything in subject under his feet. He made him head over all things for the benefit of you and me. For our benefit, Jesus is in charge. Speaking of the church, he says this, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Look, it's by grace through faith that we get the fullness of this that comes to us. Jesus' resurrection made us a new creation in him. He gave us his indwelling spirit. This new life in Christ saves us from the power of sin. We don't have to succumb to the power of sin any longer. He clothes us, the scripture says, in his righteousness, which means we put on the white robe Think about picturing us, picture us walking in a white robe of righteousness. Our sin no longer to be seen. Our sin no longer to be held against us. Scripture says that he lives his life through us. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. God has given all who trust in Jesus as Savior so much more than we could ever ever ask or imagine. Scripture says that we are one with Jesus. We are eternally His, permanently possessioned in Him. We are in Christ, forevermore accepted in the Beloved. By grace through faith, we have become His body. The church has become His body, and He has become our head. The thing is that God doesn't need you or me, yet in His grace, He chose to love you and me and pay the penalty for our sin, to break the power of sin in our life, to permanently say that he has forgiven us. And then he bestows on us this joint heirship. We become joint heirs with Christ, seated us in the heavenly places. 
And all of this is by grace through faith. So what, preacher? A lot of words, preacher. So what? Listen, Christian, you should never underestimate the power of God in your life. We have the power of God literally living within us and the power of the Holy Spirit for trials, for temptations, for our own testimony, the life that we live going forward. It's a power that God exercises in us as followers of Jesus. And that's all because of his amazing grace. Remember the implications of the power in verse 19? God's omnipotent power of supplying grace to his believers, the operational power provided by his ruling scripture, and he gives us the Holy Spirit. And once we come to grips with this, God gives us the inner power to grow into spiritual maturity. To grow into spiritual maturity. If you are anemic and you're not growing as a Christian, you have to ask the question, does the Spirit of God actually live within you? If you've been a Christian for whatever number of years that you claim to be a Christian, but there's no difference in your life, you have to question, does the Spirit of God actually live within you? Because if not, there's no way that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead can live within you and you not be different. Okay? You can't. And so we have to examine ourselves and go, Am I being conformed? Am I being changed? Am I being moved from from one degree to another in becoming more like Jesus? See, possessing the, the spirit that lives within us should deliver us from being full of fear. There's no need to fear as a Christian, amen? We, we, we shouldn't live as people of fear, right? I mean, despite what's happening around us, I hear Christians talking about it a lot. I hear, you know, about what's happening in the world today and where the world's headed and all these kind of things. And we have our, all our opinions on that. But the Scriptures tells us that to be absent from the body if you're a Christian is what? Present with the Lord. Paul says what? To live as Christ, what? Dies gain, you know? This is good right now, but man, you got me and I'm out and that's better. I like it now. I, you know, I don't necessarily want to go today, but if I go... It's better. I got it better than you. You know what I'm saying? Power from God allows us to look that fear in the face and move forward with confidence. You don't have to live in fear, Christian. No matter what situation that may come up, we have the power of God to address it. We can't lose sight of the power of God in our life. Psalm 110.1 says this, that God will make all his enemies his footstool. God will make all his enemies his footstool. You know what a footstool is? You know what a footstool is? Under his feet. Under his feet. Lower than him. God makes spiritual forces subject to Jesus. He is exalted above them. We have the case to take our spiritual... Listen, if you're in a spiritual battle, you should take it to God. Look what James says. Submit yourselves, therefore, to, the, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If you're in the middle of a, some spiritual warfare, and it just says, resist the devil. Submit yourself to God. God, what would you have me do in this spiritual battle I'm in? How would you have me react in this spiritual battle I'm in? You tell me what you would have me do. Spirit of God that lives within me, help me to fight this battle and flee from the devil. If you're messing around with a bunch of sin garbage, man, that's not what the scripture says. Don't stand strong right there in the middle of it and just grit your teeth. What does it say? Flee. 
Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Resist him and he'll flee. We don't resist to Satan in our own strength. We submit ourselves to God. When we do this, he runs from us. The challenge is to remember this power, the power in the resurrection of Jesus. The first thing is to know is that the resurrection was for you. Jesus was raised from the dead to conquer sin and death. God, God doesn't need you, but God chooses you and he calls you to himself. God doesn't need me for anything. But God called me from death to life. God's called many of you from death to life. He's working on some of you now, some of you who are watching now. He, he's calling you from death to life. He's, you're hearing the gospel message preached to your soul today. I ask you every week at the end of these things, what are you? What do you say? You're a missionary. And so not only do we need to receive these truths for ourselves, our calling is to declare these truths to one another. To awaken our friends and family from, so that the Spirit will choose to move them from death to life. We did, that happens. God not only ordains the ends, but He ordains the means. And the means is by the declaration and the, and the, and the proclamation of the Word of God. Not everybody that you know is going to listen to me. But they may listen to you sharing the good news of the gospel. And so today, I've declared it to you. I've declared it to those of you who are listening. And my question to you for, to, for you today, will you respond by faith? Some of you who are just wrestling with, am I a Christian, am I not a Christian? Is this stuff really real? Will you just respond in faith? Knowing that Jesus, listen, Jesus loves you so much that he came and lived the life that you and I can't live, tempted in every way, yet he did it without sin. He died on a cross to cover our sin debt. The scripture says without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. And the precious lamb of God shed his blood to cover your sin debt. Scripture says three days later, God raised him from the dead. And he is alive forevermore interceding on our behalf. And he has sent the spirit to those of us who are in Christ Jesus and filled us with the power of the Holy Spirit. And he will do the very same thing for you today. Will you respond today in faith? For your salvation. We'll invite you to do that after we pray. You pray with me.